have been in and out and in and out. We've been traveling. We had a meeting in the uh, Greenwood area. I was back for a week. We had a meeting in the Dallas area. I was back for a week, and then we went to Colorado for vacation. And we're back again, hopefully, to stay. And uh, so, but I appreciate those who have filled in and uh, those who have been patient with us and checked on us as we've been traveling. Uh, it's good to be with you again. Good to be home, even though it was a little more temperate in Colorado than it is here. But uh, good to see all of you again. Mark chapter 4 and verse 30 is where we'll begin. Mark 4 and verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It's interesting to me that Jesus feels the need to compare the kingdom to something. The reason is that the kingdom is subject to significant misunderstanding. It's hard for people to grasp just what it is. It is an abstract concept. It is a spiritual concept. And we've been talking about the kingdom this year. We're studying the unstoppable kingdom. We're reading through the book of Acts in our daily devotionals, which, by the way, I encourage you to keep reading. And if you're interested in those, if you're a visitor, you can check that little box on the visitor's card, or you can let us know about that. We'd be happy to get you on that list. But we've been reading through and studying about the unstoppable kingdom. We talked about how Old Testament prophecies pointed toward God establishing his kingdom. We talked about how Jesus began by saying, repent, for the kingdom is here. And yet, through all the studies that we've done this year, we still have to admit there's a significant bit of misunderstanding. That happened even in the time of Jesus. Here are a couple of examples. In Luke 17 and verse 20, it says, "...being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you." You see, he's trying to battle their misconception about when the kingdom would come and how it would look. In Luke 19 and verse 11, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately, a misconception. They thought it was going to look like this, and so he tells a story to tell them how the kingdom really will look. Or in Acts 1 and verse 6, after the resurrection of Jesus, just before he ascends, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still in that confused state even that late in the game. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he puts that accusation over his head on the cross. There's a lot of kingdom talk in the New Testament, but not a lot of great understanding of the kingdom. So Jesus' answer to the misconceptions is to try to explain what the kingdom is like. And he does that, as we've read in our text, by using parables. To what can we compare the kingdom of God, to make people grasp it a little more easily. And so what I want to do over the coming months, the next few months, is to talk about those parables in which Jesus explains the kingdom. So we're transitioning into a new phase in our study for the year where we're going to be looking at the stories Jesus used to talk about the kingdom and the pictures he used so that we can understand on a deeper level what the kingdom is like and how that should impact our lives and the lives of those we teach. This morning, the image that Jesus uses that we're going to focus on is the image of seeds. That Jesus over and over again talks about the kingdom as a seed. If you want to understand God's kingdom, I know it may sound weird, but you need to think about seeds. So let's do that for a few minutes this morning. First of all, Jesus talks about seeds by expressing that God's kingdom grows exponentially. Mark Mark chapter 4 and verse 30. Mark 4 and verse 30 says, And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed 
which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. So he singles out the mustard seed here. It grows from small to big. Now Jesus says the mustard seed is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. And somebody is out there thinking, oh, no, it's not. Because we have Google and you can Google it. And sure enough, if you Google it, there's a really, really small orchid seed that's the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. So you don't have to Google it. I Googled it for you this week. But I think the point's the same. I don't think Jesus is giving us a lesson in plants here. He is saying something very clear about how the mustard seed grows from something so small to something so big. Look at it again in verse 31. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when it's sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. From smallest to largest compared to the other plants. Now, there are bigger plants, there are smaller seeds, but the mustard seed is a brilliant illustration of a little thing that becomes a great big thing. Now, first of all, I think we need to acknowledge how amazing it is that that happens every day in our world, and we just take it for granted, don't we? You, you plant this little thing in the ground, and all of a sudden, and sometimes you don't plant them, you know what weeds are like, and, and then all of a sudden, if you don't watch out, boom, it's everywhere, it's big. I cut down a crepe myrtle in my yard. And sure enough, you know, a week or two later, there's about 15 crepe myrtles growing where that one was. I didn't even do anything. That's part of the problem. So that's the way the kingdom works. You, you take something small, and in the same way that that thing becomes something big, it transforms. So the kingdom works. Now, Jesus says, if you want to know what the kingdom is like, you think about that little seed that becomes something great. Now, I believe that what Jesus is referring to here, the idea of exponential growth, is the idea of how the kingdom in a broad way, the gospel, works. It begins small and it becomes big. It grows exponentially. In fact, it outgrows what it should grow. So, the gospel begins in a stable in Bethlehem where there's a young couple who has a baby they didn't plan for. It begins with a handful of John the Baptist followers who are fishermen. It begins where at Jesus' death there are no followers. Have you noticed that? And even after his death, there's a small group of maybe 100, 120. And yet the gospel grows. It grows like wildfire. It grows everywhere. Little branches spring up here and there, just like they do in your yard. The more it's persecuted the more it grows. Soon the gospel is preached throughout the Roman Empire, throughout the known world. People are Christians all over the world, and most of those people never knew Jesus. And that's an amazing thing. That is something small that becomes something great. That's what the kingdom is like. And the reason it's like that, please hear me, is because it has the power of God behind it. That's the point. Just like that little seed that becomes something big, so the kingdom is something small that becomes something great. Now, I believe it's also possible that this kind of exponential growth is true personally. So that what begins as a small bit of faith becomes strong and powerful. Or what begins as a small life change alters our future dramatically. Or what starts as an interest becomes a passion and changes everything. But when we see that pattern, we need to know that God is at work. That's what the kingdom's like. Like a little seed that becomes something big. Second, God's kingdom has a disproportionate impact. 
I want you to leave your marker or your finger here in Mark 4. We're going to come back in just a second. But let's go over to Luke chapter 13. Luke 13. There's another picture here. Now, somebody's going to complain it's not a seed picture, but that's okay. It's the same idea, and it's in the same context. Luke chapter 13 and verse 18. Luke 13 and verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. So here Jesus is again casting about for a picture. What's a good picture to compare the kingdom to? And he comes to leaven. He says, a woman took and hid the leaven. That's a very specific word. In three measures of flour until it was all leaven. Now, leaven is the rising agent in bread. We still use it today. So those who are cooks are familiar with it. Those of us who are not cooks, well, we need to know that the cooks use it. So Jesus doesn't say exactly how much leaven, but the implication is you've got a lot more flour than you do leaven. It's a small part of the recipe, but if you leave it out, you notice. That's the point. It has an impact that's disproportionate to the amount. Leaven is going to have an impact throughout the bread. Leaven is going to be in the bread, or if you leave it out, it's going to be unleavened bread. You will notice. But there's no such thing as a part of the bread being leavened and a part not. It's going to affect the whole lump. Now, you know that leaven is often used in Scripture as a picture of evil. So Paul will say to the church in Corinth, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So evil can spread, and it spreads in that kind of surreptitious way. Jesus is going to say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He's going to talk about the influence that they have for sinister things. But here, the picture is not evil, it's good. He is saying, no, the gospel can move, the kingdom can move in this way, just like leaven, and influence others, even if it's not as overt as you might expect. So here is the point of the leaven picture. When God is at work, it's different from how men work. It is out of proportion to what we would expect and what it should be. He uses a similar image, by the way, when he talks about salt. You are the salt of the earth, and the same idea is salt's a very small part of what you eat, but it seasons it a lot. Very little bit of salt, very big amount of flavor. In the same way, very little bit of leaven, very big amount of leavening. The point is, there is a disproportionate impact. This is about how the kingdom grows and spreads. We might think that since it's God, the kingdom's going to spread top down. Okay, so everybody is going to sort of be forced to be a part of the kingdom. But instead, the kingdom seems to spread from the bottom up. A little bit here and there, the kingdom spreads in a different way. It grows, not through some kind of universal acclamation, but it grows through families and through workplaces and through small conversations, through gradually winning people over. It spreads in that subtle way, like leaven. But then suddenly you look up and you see an impact of those small things all adding together to create a tremendous disproportionate impact. So I do believe that's true of the kingdom generally. I also wonder if there's not more to this picture of leaven. 
that sometimes when we begin to take in God's words and ideas, it begins to change us. It is subtle, but God is at work in us through His Spirit. And suddenly there are changes that are made that are out of proportion to what we've done. Have you ever had this experience? Have you ever said one morning you get up and you say, you know what, I want to read Scripture for five or ten minutes today. And it completely changed your outlook for the whole day. Have you ever had that happen? Wonder why that would be. A little bit of time, tremendous impact. Same principle. That that's the way God works because that's the way God works. That's the kingdom. Jesus says that's what the kingdom is like. You want a picture, think of leaven. It has a disproportionate impact. All right, let's go back to Mark chapter 4. I told you we'd go back in a moment. Let's go back now, Mark chapter 4. The third thing I want us to see as we explore this idea of seeds is that God's kingdom doesn't depend on man. God's kingdom doesn't depend on man. Mark chapter 4 and verse 26. Mark 4 and verse 26. It says, And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So again, he likens the kingdom to a seed. But here he focuses on the farmer who plants the seed. So the farmer, verse 26, he scatters the seed. Verse 27, he goes to sleep. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. And I want you to notice really the key to the whole parable is there in verse 27. These four words, he knows not how. Okay, so the whole process of agriculture is a little bit of a mystery to us. That's what he is saying. Now, he's not taking a shot at farmers. Not saying farmers don't know anything. In fact, we, we know quite a bit about farming these days. We study the science of farming. And you can get into the soil consistencies and pHs and nitrogen and phosphorus and all these things. And you can discover what are the optimal conditions in which to grow crops. But, but you know, it's still a bit of a mystery, isn't it? Why things should grow in the ground. There is a mystery to this because that's just the way God made the earth to work. That's just the way God made plants to work. So we can control for crop yields. We can use our fertilizers. We can do all those things. But at the end of the day, we don't really know how this works because it doesn't work depending on us. It's going to keep working whether we do anything to the soil or not. At the end of the day, this is something that doesn't depend on us. In fact, look at verse 28. He says, the earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. In Jesus' picture, all that happens is the farmer plants and then goes to sleep. And then he gets up and it's time to reap, and so he reaps. He doesn't have anything to do with the process. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom's like. The kingdom is an entire process that doesn't depend on you. It's going to happen whether you do anything or not, because it has to do with the work of God. So the message of God's kingdom does not depend on man. Let me apply that a little bit. That, mean God, that means that God doesn't need my ingenuity to spread the gospel. Now, he could certainly use me in the same way that a farmer can do a good job. I can do a good job. But the wonder is always in the power of the seed. 
not in the power of the farmer. The wonder is always there. And we need to remember to put the focus on where the focus should be, that this is about God changing people's lives and that that's God's work and not man's. So like that mustard seed, there is going to be a transformation that takes place. It's going to transform men. It's going to sift hearts. It's going to challenge and confront and encourage and give hope to people. And it will do that regardless of what I ever do. It does not depend on me. So in the language of the parable, my job is to scatter the seed, let God work, and when the time comes, I reap the harvest. That's my job. I'm the farmer in that scenario. And I am just in awe of the seed. The earth produces by itself, or he knows not how. Isn't it remarkable? Just step back and think about this for a moment. Isn't it remarkable that the kingdom of God has advanced and persisted throughout the centuries, both in spite of and through people? All the people that have lived, all the people who have claimed the name of Christ and those who have opposed the name of Christ, none of them have been able to affect this simple process through which God changes hearts and wins people to him. God uses people. Sometimes God works in spite of people. Sometimes God uses them by working in spite of them. And yet God is the one who gets the glory. Now, this is important. It doesn't depend on us. That's important because sometimes we become convinced that God needs us to take care of things for him. He needs our ingenuity and our marketing and our good ideas to kind of help him out because I'm not sure he's got it all figured out here. He needs us to update the gospel for him. And I understand not all of that is bad. It's important for us to do the best that we can to spread the gospel in our time and in our place. But we have to remember, God's kingdom doesn't depend on me. It will grow because it is from God. That's its nature, just like a seed. So that should give us both confidence to know that God is at work and God won't be stopped. We've been studying about that in the book of Acts. But it should also give us some humility to say that, you know what, God doesn't need me. It's not as if God is depending on me. There is something that is going on that is far greater than me and my contributions to the cause. God's kingdom doesn't depend on man. And finally, God's kingdom bears fruit. I want you to go back with me a few verses here in Mark chapter 4. We're going to touch on the parable of the sower in a moment. We're going to come back to the parable of the sower at a later time in the year. So I'm not going to go into as much detail now as I will later. But I want to read and I want you to look at with me for just a moment how the seed is intended to bear fruit in the parable of the sower. Mark chapter 4 and verse 3. Mark 4 and verse 3. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on stone, uh, rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Now, I think it's pretty clear that the goal of sowing seed is to get fruit, to bear fruit. Jesus explains in this parable, though, why not all sowing creates fruit. And it has to do with soil conditions. But when the seed hits that good soil, 
there is the trademark exponential increase we talked about. 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. It is growing and bearing fruit and increasing and yielding. And that's the goal. Look down in verse 20 with me. Mark 4 and verse 20. It says, But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. So they hear it, they accept it, and they bear fruit, and the fruit is far beyond the initial investment. That's the point. That disproportionate impact, that exponential growth is shown in the fruit. So like a sower, Jesus and his apostles, they throw the seed wherever they can. They talk about the good news that God wants to reign over us, that God has his will for us, he's expressed it through Jesus, that a new relationship is available there. They spread the gospel, but not everyone responds. But think about it. What happens to those who do? Think about what happens to the good seed. That's the seed that's thrown on good soil. These are people who have radical change occur in their lives. They become different people. Just think about the apostles for a moment. The before and after picture of the apostles. Where before they are clueless. They are bumbling. I know I'm going to have to apologize to them someday for these words I'm saying about them, but I don't think they would even deny it. They didn't have a clue what was going on. They make tremendous mistakes. They're hot-headed, impulsive. They correct Jesus all the time. You get to the end of their lives. Some of them, of course, most of them ended violently as they're finally willing to suffer and die for their Savior, which they weren't willing to do before, by the way. They become spiritual giants. They become loving people. They become kind people. They become wise people. They are transformed. When, when people who are proud become humble and are hateful become loving, when people learn to control themselves, they learn to forgive, that they are bearing fruit for God. Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit. That when the Spirit lives in us, we become loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and forgiving. We become different people because God's kingdom bears fruit in us. So when Jesus uses this picture of the gospel as a seed thrown into good soil, what he is saying is the gospel is not simply meant to be enjoyed. That you listen to it and you say, boy, that was good. Boy, I like that. I think I'll sign up for that. That the gospel is intended to be lived out that there are real things you are going to do differently when you believe in Jesus. It's a seed that only has its fulfillment when the fruit comes. So the question has to come to us, doesn't it? Are there things in our lives that we can point at and say, look, there is the fruit of God's work in me. Here are the things I'm doing that show I have been touched by the good news of the kingdom. So are we living differently? Can you say you are kinder or more sincere or more forgiving or more self-controlled? Can you say that you have a passion for worship, a passion for reconciliation with others, a passion for Bible study, what does the fruit 
say about you? That's the challenge of this parable. Now, we also need to say, you know, as teachers, the parable of the sower helps us because it helps us understand why we get all kinds of reactions to the gospel. Why some people seem to be interested and then they fall away. Why some people just seem to reject it out of hand. We get a lot of those answers. But when we see it, and we see that the gospel touches people's hearts and lives, and we see the harvest come in, we praise God. Because that's what the kingdom is like. It is like seed that grows and grows and bears fruit. So here, I believe, is the point of Jesus' seed parables. We have an amazing thing that goes on every day when we see the way things grow on the earth. And he is saying, those little miracles, so to speak, those radical transformations, those plants that start as the seed and then become something completely different, that's what the gospel is like. That's what the kingdom is like. The kingdom is not just a picture of power and armies and territory like we might think of it. The kingdom is also a picture of a seed, something small and overlooked, but with the power to change the world. So, are you growing? How are you growing? Are you having an impact on others? And in what direction? Are you in awe of a God who can use you but doesn't depend on you? And what fruits can you show of the work God is doing in you? Pray that you'll take those questions home and be challenged by them. But most of all, I hope that you'll keep that image in your head of what it is to know God's work, to think of it as a seed. There might be someone here this morning who is ready to obey the gospel of the kingdom, to allow God to do that work in your life, to transform you into a different person as you submit yourself in obedience to him. The way the Bible talks about that, the way Jesus and his apostles talk about that, is about putting your faith in him, that Jesus came from heaven, he is the son of God, and he lived as a man to offer himself for you and for your sins, to take your sins away, to make you into a new person who will be transformed into the image of God's son. And as you do that, there is a change that is needed from you what the Bible calls repentance, where you turn from what you used to do and be to what God calls you to be. And as you confess your faith to be buried with him in baptism and have your sins washed away, the burial of that old man, you can be raised to walk in a new life. And you can begin that process right now, this morning. We'd love nothing more than to help you by helping you to become a child of God. That's the beginning of a journey in which there will be that transformation and God will do his work in you. And we will help you and encourage you along the way as your brothers and sisters. But we want to encourage you, if you're ready to do that right now, to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.